Hi, I'm Jonathan Smith. Welcome to our podcast, Training New Tricks, a series where we delve into the world of learning and development to unlock the challenges and successes of our industry in order to discover how to reinvent ourselves and our departments for the new world after coronavirus and make learning relevant. Obviously, I can't undertake such a broad and hugely important thing just by myself, and so each week I'll be with my old friend Nathan Akers, discussing things from classroom to digital, frames of mind to departmental structure. This is the podcast where two old dogs teach you new tricks. Welcome to our podcast, number five in our series, Two Old Dogs Talking L&D. My name's Nathan and with me is Jonathan. Jonathan, good evening. Welcome. Hello. Good to see you again, Nathan. Oh, it's always good to see you, mate. It's always good to have a chat. So, let's start off as we always do. What have you learnt in the last week? Uh, so, so, so what I've learnt in the last week was um, that uh, it, it kind of goes on from what we discussed last week, which was uh, all around the trust element. And uh, I applied for a contract uh, in full uh, in full trust that uh, the contract actually existed and that my application would be looked at. Um, and sadly, long, long of, uh, and short of the story was that um, it wasn't looked at uh, at all because the job was always going to go internally to the organisation. It was a maternity leave cover. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, a pointless exercise, one which cost me a lot of time. Um, and it just kind of grates on me, really, that um, companies that you you trust may have the right um, intention actually turn out to be um, just playing you, uh, ticking boxes, and you know they don't care about how much time it's taken you out of your day or how much effort you've had to put in. And that rather grates on me. So I've kind of learned that uh, things are not as they seem. Well, I really hope this doesn't make you cynical, mate, because uh, <laughs> not, not every organisation is, is, is that Machiavellian and evil. Um, but it is annoying. I, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from, and I, I get it. It must have really frustrated you that you put all that extra work in and got zero return and i think what's worse about it is there was never any intent yes you know their their, their good intent wasn't there exactly so, exactly yeah so what about you what have you learned in a way my so my learning is very similar um and it, just like that organization uh they were sticking with the status quo and one of the things that i've learned this week is that uh, we, we have a tendency to gravitate towards the status quo because doing nothing is in and of itself a decision. Um, and doing something has the potential for an outcome that maybe we don't want. So uh, I've been working on a, uh, a training and development program for the last few weeks. And I've spent a lot of time tinkering, just playing around the edges with this, you know, changing colors and fonts and aligning things. And 
I asked myself, well, why, why am I not just getting it out there? And you want it to be as professional as it can and things like that. But there's a point, isn't there, at which you have to just say stop. Yeah. In the tinkering and put yourself into the market where the market might turn around and say, thanks, but no thanks. So I guess my learning is that the status quo can be a safe place and that sometimes we need to challenge whether or not we want to live in that safe place. Yeah. Go. Very good. Very good. That's uh, that's very profound. And it could lead us on to many other conversations, I'm sure, but it will probably detract from what we're here to talk about today. So today's topic, facilitator or trainer? So which one are you? <laughs> uh, this is this is a this is a really interesting topic. So they are not interchangeable. Can we can we start with that? Can we say well, they are not interchangeable um, roles that are played by people like you and me? Uh, they are two distinct roles, which both of which are performed within the learning and development arena, and your skills that you require in order to perform each of these two different roles are different and they're not the same. So somebody who is uh, an excellent trainer cannot claim to be an excellent facilitator unless they develop and hone different skills. So what do I mean by that? Um, so for me, um, training uh when, when somebody asks me you know um, you know why why are you a trainer why why don't you become a teacher teacher is far more um stable you know you you will always have a job as a teacher and you get um whatever it is six weeks holiday a year or something r ridiculous you know why don't you become a teacher and uh, and i thought about this um <laughs> and it was actually a conversation with my parents because they have no understanding of what I do for a living. <laughs> they they still don't know what to do. <laughs> and yeah. um, you know, they said, "Mine, mine, mine wonder when I'm actually going to get a job." <laughs> yes, yeah. get yourself a proper job and go and be a teacher. But I thought about this, and I thought actually the reason why I'm not a teacher is because I I uh, do not gravitate towards the trainer side of these two roles which is more around the provision of information to an individual. Um, for me, it's not about me standing up there and pontificating and saying, here's some information, let me just throw it at you, let me just dump it on you. That's not what I do. What I do is, is more moving that uh, teaching sort of role towards the training, towards the facilitation bit, if you like, there's a spectrum which I'm, I'm trying to paint, paint a picture of, mm -hmm. um, teaching dumping information, training is the using of that information in something which is a little bit more practical. So, so I kind of see training then as uh, I take this information and how do I actually use it in my role? Uh, so there might be some skills involved in that, uh, that information in, in, facilitating that information or making that information work for me. Um, and then the facilitation piece is completely different again because I have no idea 
no concept whatsoever of what is going to be the output of this. Whereas I think with teaching and with training, you do. There's a defined output. With facilitation, it's open-ended and you have to be able to, uh, to go wherever the group need to go in order for it to be a beneficial exercise. Does that make any sort of sense, Nathan? And, and how do you feel about that? Uh, well, it makes a load of sense to me. Um, one, of the, one of the interesting things is that uh, for, a, for a podcast to work, sometimes people need to be confrontational and they, they need to have opposing views. Unfortunately, <laughs> we, we have very similar views. Uh, you know, I, I can't refute anything you've said because I, I totally agree with it. I think one of the interesting, I love that upfront comment about the fact that the two are not interchangeable because I think there are a lot of people out there that assume training equals facilitation, facilitation equals training. You know, that the, the one thing, that the start point I think that all of this stems from is the word facil, to make easy. So the, the role of a facilitator is to make things easy for that group to get to where they need to get to, wherever that is. Um, a trainer, on the other hand, has a very specific, like you said, a very specific objective for the session, um, be that virtual, be it face-to-face, um, be that half a day, be it a full day, be it an hour. They know exactly where they need to get to. You know, this is the quanta. This is the amount of stuff I have to get through in that time. Whereas when you're facilitating, it's much more dynamic. It's much more fluid. And it requires a different level of maturity on the part of the facilitator. It requires a very different level of maturity on the part of the group. And it requires the capacity to quiet your own ego. The session as a facilitator is about the group. It's not about sage on the stage. It's not about the entertainer. It's it's not about a variety performance. You're not there to entertain. You're not there to educate. You're there to guide. You're there to channel. Um, You're there to to cause um, irritation. You know, you, you're a pebble in the shoe that makes them stop and take the shoe off and say, how did we get here? You know, it, and then in the process of stopping, they go, well, are we heading in the right direction? You, you, you're making me think of the host in a, a debate show, like something like uh, Newsnight or something like that, where, mm. where that's exactly what they do, isn't it? They, they poke people <laughs> with a stick in order to provoke a, uh, a different reaction to, or a different thought process to what they were originally wanting to say, to test almost whether there is, um, they're just sort of reeling off these words and not really, not really coming from the heart, yep. um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And, and also I love the fact that you mentioned about the ego there because I think that's so key. And, and do you find that when you're facilitating, there is a, um, a real challenge of, I want, to, I want to tell you some stuff 
about what you're debating. <laughs> I know some stuff about this. I'm nodding vigorously. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You have to hold back that trainer within you in order to facilitate properly almost. And a really good example of that is you might be working with a team around the formation of their mission. And there are lots of tools out there to, to formulate a mission. You know, they'll start throwing things out. And as, as the facilitator, and I like the way you described it as, you know, the, the inner trainer starts to perk up. Yes. And, you know, you're having, you're having this conversation with yourself. Oh, my goodness. You're, honestly, you're not going to say that. Are you? You're not going to write that down. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, oh, crikey. Seriously. <laughs> um, it, it's holding back, isn't it? And it's allowing them to uncover their own mistakes. Yes. So in that so, way, would um, you say that facilitation is very much like coaching? Oh, yeah, um, very much. It's helping people to help themselves, isn't it? You know, I think the facilitator has an assumed position, which is you people know why you're here. And you people know or you have a rough idea of what you're looking to achieve. And my job is to perhaps every now and then make sure you see the signposts that dictate why's in the path, you know, a, a juncture between going this way or that way. Training, on the other hand, you will often get people turning up in the room who don't really know what they're there, you know, okay, okay, so this is a presentation skills course, or this is a management course, or this is a leadership course. Well, what, what does that even mean? You know, and what, why I'm on a leadership course, not a management course, and what's the difference kind of thing? Yeah. Fac facilitation. I think one of the keys for me around effective facilitation is the maturity of the team I'm working with. What do you mean by that? So, well, if, if you think about some of the, um, the the eureka moments, some of the aha moments that teams have had when you've been working with them with the five dysfunctions, you know, when all of a sudden they realize that it's not personal. Yeah. You know what? There is sufficient trust in the group that I can say, I don't like the direction this is headed in, or I don't like the way that comment was presented, or I don't think this is the right direction for us as an organization to be heading in. Whereas previously they may not have said that because there was a lack of maturity. There was a lack of, um, of trust. Yeah. So I think maturity and trust, are, you know, there's a, there's a big overlap in those two things. I think the, the more mature a team is, the more trust exists in that team. So an immature team, an early phase team, there's insufficient maturity for people to actually feel like they can speak up without retribution or speak up without offending someone or, or someone having a go back at them. So uh, I think facilitation is something that really kicks in as a team matures. So here's my question to you. Mm. Um, are there times when both needs to happen? Yeah. Um, I mean, so you mentioned about the five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, when we do those workshops, 
there is a small element, I'll say small element of, uh, of training that we will do. So for example, um, when we talk about the, the actual triangle, the, the, the five dysfunctions themselves, that is me going into training mode. And for a moment, even if it's just for half an hour, 40 minutes or something like that, I am a trainer. <laughs> Um, and then it's what do you do with that? So what do you do with that? Well, we have to have various different sessions on each of the five different elements of the five dysfunctions uh, where I need to facilitate a discussion amongst the team to see how they're faring on each of those five things. Now, I don't know how they're faring. I'm going in completely blind, completely, completely open-minded, and without any preconceptions, really, as to you know what I expect them to say or... We might walk out of that saying, them saying, um, well, we have everything sorted. And vice versa, we might walk out with them saying, we have absolutely nothing in common here. We, we are not a team whatsoever. Come on, here's, here's an aside. Have you ever had a team say they've got everything sorted? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. Yeah, very arrogant team. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact... Um, <laughs> In fact, it was reflected in their pre-workshop uh, report uh, where there's a red, amber, green report on each of the five elements and every single one of them was green. And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, right. I think number one is we mm -hmm. need to be honest with each other here. <laughs> uh, and it was mm. a question of how can I facilitate that out of the group so that they turn round and say, yeah, actually... I put that because I didn't want any of the repercussions of me being honest. Mm. And that's really the, the hurdle to overcome with stuff like that. So yes, is the answer. So a little bit of training, a lot of facilitation. Um, and yeah, I have no idea where we will end up after the, the course finishes. But I have a belief, I suppose, an inner belief that I'm going to guide it to somewhere which is better than it was at the start. Mm. Um, and, I, and I guess, Nath, you're probably with me in, in that you, that is, I don't want that to sound arrogant because it's not arrogant, but that is resting on experience. It's resting on mm -hmm. um, confidence in my own abilities to kind of identify where we're heading. And if we're heading down a rabbit hole is to then steer it in a different direction. It, it's, it's kind of all of these things, being able to read the group um, that's in front of me, and, and all of those things. Would you say that that would make a, a good facility? One of the one of the ways of looking at this is in terms of outcome focus. Mm. When when you are delivering training, there is always a very clear set of outcomes, isn't there? Yeah. You know, if if you attend this course, you will learn this material. You will be able to do this. Uh, you, you will have this new knowledge as part of your toolbox. And one of the interesting things is, and you may well have experienced this, when you work, particularly with HR, and I've noticed it more and more over the last few years, as the word business partner becomes more used and, and HR gets closer and closer to the business. A lot of what was previously uh, kind of pattern recognition or intuition, you know, that, that gut feeling feels right to me. 
has become systemized yeah and has become process oriented and it's kind of one of those well where are we going to be up to at lunchtime what will have we finished by afternoon break and actually yes. i'll give you a really good example um uh, I, I was supposed to be going out to Saudi Arabia in March to deliver some training. And this training was on personal effectiveness. Now, personal effectiveness, that's a very broad topic. Uh, however, in February, I got an email from the organization saying, could you provide us with a five-question, or yeah, five-question questionnaire that people could answer at the end of the training to demonstrate the effectiveness of the training. And, and I'm thinking, well, to start with, you're, you're basically asking turkeys to vote for Christmas because I'm writing my own questionnaire. Yes. You know, <laughs> what, what nationality was the, was the Kiwi? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Did we start on time? Did you have a workbook? Yes, yes, yes. There we go. Well done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, um, but I thought it was really interesting that that somewhere in their psyche, somewhere in in their culture, somewhere in their organization, and I'm I'm not calling out Saudi Arabia here, I'm just saying in that organization, there was a need for some form of, of systemic review, some form of measurement. And I think one of the ways of defining or or discerning between facilitation and training is when you're talking about something like personal effectiveness, it's much more along the lines of facilitation than it is training. Your capacity to define a very specific outcome is limited. At the end of this session, we may or may not have a mission statement for this group. At the end of this session, we may or may not have increased the level of trust between the members of this team. But that's not really acceptable you know, by a lot of organisations, is it? To have that sort of output, you know, they want they want that sort know, of grey. They want to know all the nuts and bolts as to what's going to come out of the convey. Con, uh, what's the word? The uh, conveyor belt at the end of it, don't they? Yeah. And and that's why they want training, not facilitation. Are we applying some sort of logic if we say then training produces results and um, facilitation doesn't necessarily produce results? Oh, well, I get, if you if you were to look at it uh, from a you know the the, the that the helicopter view, I guess you could use that analogy or, or that that comparison, um, but I think it's more than that. Mm. I, I think that's that's perhaps too simplistic, and and also I think it's unfair um, because I would suggest that feedback that you get from your facilitated sessions is always more personal, uh, more profound, and has deeper levels of impact than the feedback you'd get from your training sessions would say that that's the case in my world. Yeah. 
Um, I would agree with that. Is are we saying then? <laughs> sorry to play uh, the devil's advocate no, no, here, no. but are we saying then that with facilitation of events, we uh, get a better emotional response? Whereas with a training event, we get a more left brain kind of logical response. <laughs> ooh, ooh, wow! This is oh, deep stuff. Wow, <laughs> that's a, that that is that is that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, so let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit deeper, and say that humans are primarily emotional creatures. So if we can connect with them on an emotional level, then the logical level will follow. I think one of the big errors we have made, in, particularly in the 80s and 90s, was this move to logic. Yes, yes, you I know. Um, and one of the things that, that has really got me is the whole idea of it's not personal, it's just work. Yep, yep. No, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. If two people are interacting, then it's personal. You know, if yeah. you and I are interacting, it is personal. Um, the reason we're interacting may be because we work together, but it's personal. And if you say something to me that affects me emotionally, and then you um, you deal with it by saying, uh, it's not personal, it's just work, that doesn't wash with me. I, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Is is facilitation more emotive? Quite possibly. And I think part of that emotive connection comes from that lack of structure, that lack of kind of, uh, you know, by by 9.15, we will have covered this. And by 9.18, we will have covered this. And by 9.21, we will have done this. No, what we're going to do between now and when we have a break, which will be roughly somewhere between now and lunch, um, <laughs> is we're going to talk about this topic. And I would like you to start. And here's a few guidelines around what, what I'd like you to do. And I'd like you to pick someone to follow on. And then the job as a facilitator is to step backwards, you know, step out of that circle. Yeah, and hold back. So looking at the, the skills then for, um, for a trainer, and the skills then we'll go and have a look at the facilitator. What skills are needed to be a, a really first-class trainer? Which is a slightly loaded question uh, it, because <laughs> I once worked with, um, with somebody and uh, I was new to the business. And I, you know, one of the first things you do is you go and talk to people in the business, don't you? And you, you try to find out you know, what sort of experiences of training they've had in the past. And there was this one fella who happened to be in my team that uh, people singled out. They said, oh, excellent trainer, first-class trainer, love his training sessions. Uh, I thought, okay, well, I can learn from him then. I'll go and, I'll go and sit in, in in one of his training sessions. I sat in in one of his training sessions, and he was that consummate entertainer. He was that person who thought that making people laugh, making people have fun, was far more important than uh, helping them to understand a particular difficult concept or helping them to uh, to gain some form of um, beneficial output as a result of the training. 
Um, and so subsequently, the business were 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 stating that they felt that he were epitomised the skills of a great trainer because he could make people laugh because he was funny, he was entertaining. Is that a great trainer? Great trainer or great entertainer? Um, again, you you could say that he was using his capacity to entertain as a way of connecting with the emotion. However, uh, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, it's always good to have a laugh. But if that's the entire training session, then it's probably not connecting in a way that you would hope you would you would like it to if, if it was your money being spent on that event. Yeah. There's a word that's chucked around, isn't there? Charisma. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, no, for anybody that's listening to this and thinking, you know, have I got it? I don't think the charisma, I don't know, it just, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't wash with me. No. Um, I've, I've sat in on loads of training sessions um, and I've evaluated trainers and I've used different methodologies for evaluation, but it's a combination of things, isn't it? And the the more training you do, and the better you understand the material you're delivering, the better the trainer you will be. What are the requirements to be a good trainer? I don't think it is that you have to have done stand-up with Billy Connolly and Eddie Izzard. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think that's a requirement. I think one of the real challenges is the fact that a lot of people end up with the, the moniker, with the title, with the label of trainer via a somewhat dubious route. And I think you will have seen this. I've definitely seen it. You know, and I think call centers are notorious for this. Um, you know, that they've, not all of them, some of them are poorly organized and a new starter begins and the team leader is kind of unaware of it and they're kind of wide-eyed, oh, great, I've got a new team member. And they take this new team member who's kind of excited about their new job and everything like that and they walk over to their um, their star performer and they say, hey, Jonathan, would you mind just showing this person the ropes? And it works out okay, you know. No one dies. Uh, and a week later, the same thing happens. And a week later, the same thing happens. And, and then a month later, you're, Jonathan's walking to get a coffee. And someone comes up to them and says, hey, Jonathan, you're a trainer, aren't you? And then all of a sudden they go, oh, yeah, I suppose I am. Yeah. And without really understanding what it is to be a trainer, they're now standing in front of a group. What do I think it takes to be a trainer? What are some of the competencies? What are some of the skills? I think it helps if you know the material you're going to be delivering. And when I say know the material, I'm talking about knowing beginning to end. So you know what are you going to be doing after morning break? What are you going to be doing after lunch? What are you going to be doing after afternoon break? You know, so you can tie things together. 
the key to effective training is being able to tie things together. Yeah. Uh, you can't leave people hanging. You know, I, why are you teaching me this shortcut? Why are you telling me about this technique? So what? Yes. I, I can't leave you hanging. You, you have to be able to see its pertinence, its use. Uh, I think also you, you, you need to have some life experience that throws you a curveball. Mm. You know, you need to have someone faint in your training. You, you need to have delegates not come back from lunch. Uh, you know, how do I deal with it? Um, what do I do? Do I spend the next hour panicking about them or do I just carry on? What, you know, what do I do? You need to have kind of dealt with IT failure. Uh, you, you need to understand how things like different types of cables work and projectors and electronic whiteboards and display screens and you know, and you, you need to know all of this before you're thrust into a room and think, oh, top man, I've just flown halfway around the world and I don't have an HDMI cable on me. <laughs> yes. Great. Great. <laughs> or worse still, you actually uh, fly halfway around the world and you've got an HDMI cable and an optical cable and a USB cable. And you haven't got a VGA adapter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's having those experiences that make you uh, just a little bit more prepared for the real world. No, I agree. I, think. I agree. Um, I, I'll build on that as well, if I may. And, um, and say, yeah, people the people that you're talking about who who perhaps fall into training because people have said you're a great trainer without any, mm. any sort of real experience of training may well be great presenters their presentation mm. skills may well be entertaining may well be good maybe maybe well thought out etc um and that is really a very small small part, I would say, of, of training because I think if I, if I analyse the success that I've had as a trainer, it will be to, to take what are perhaps on the surface really complex thoughts or complex products mm. or, or complex uh, matters and put them in a way which makes them appear simple. And I'll, I'll give you a for instance on this. Um, I was once given the poison chalice when I was at T-Mobile of uh, training people on how to do um, the, uh, the foreign, uh, working out how foreign uh, tariffs and everything worked when people go on roaming. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> I did exactly what you said, which was I spent, I spent an evening really trying to understand and get my head around the working bits that create uh, the tariff and then how is that tariff then calculated and how does it end up on somebody's bill. Um, and to understand that, I had to backtrack and see the bigger picture of uh, what's happening with regards to when people um, are on a, uh, a cell in the UK and suddenly they then fly having turned their phone off and now they turn their phone off on and they're in Madrid and there's a cell in Madrid which picks them up. So it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, creating those sort of scenarios in my head, understanding it. 
and and then the next stage is how can i how can i put this in a way how can i communicate this in a way that people are going to say well of course of course that's how it works why wouldn't it work like that what other options are and it's um there's so many training courses that i'm sure you've been on and i've been on where it seems to be so sophisticated and so complex that you begin to wonder how am i ever going to get my head around this notion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I feel i'm just crying out for for somebody that can make the complex appear simple so i can get my head around it so i, I give you another i give you a personal option a personal um uh, version of that very one so a few years ago uh, an organization asked me to come and do train the trainer for some of their business continuity people I, I don't know if you've ever done any business continuity but business continuity is very different from crisis management um, business continuity is all about what do you do after the fire has been put out how do you continue to make good your promises that you had in place one minute before that fire began so it's it's all about how do you keep doing business and uh, uh, for a lot of organizations COVID-19 has been a real business continuity challenge for them so anyway I, I ran this train the trainer with this group of business continuity specialists and uh, they were an interesting bunch uh and none of them were ever going to be trainers and we we did a three-day train the trainer and by the end of it i thought (laughs) uh, that it was over i'm not (laughs) i'm not quite sure what's what you know what the output's going to be these people were all very clever and they they really understood the technical machinations of the business areas they worked in and are you saying and they could that was the qualification for them to be selected as the trainers yes yeah correct okay yeah um you know they they really worked closely with the senior people in those business areas to put together continuity plans to say, well, you know, if we couldn't use this building, what are our options? If we can't use this machine, what are our options? If we did have a pandemic, what would our options be? That kind of thing. One of the senior guys that was on that train, the trainer, went away. And about a week later, he rang me and said, oh, we've had a meeting. And we've decided that we're not actually cut out to run training. And you went, great. And, <laughs> uh, well, I I kind of did, and I didn't <laughs> at the same time. Um, and they said, would you mind working with the company that delivers some of our business continuity training and make it just a little bit more engaging? And exactly what you described is exactly what I ended up doing with this organization, was taking some of the stuff that was overly complicated and making it simple and making it fun and making people do exactly what you said, which was, well, why would it be anything other than this? That, yeah. That makes perfect sense. So I, I guess you could say that one of the roles of a trainer is that 
facilitation piece, which is to make simple. You know, take complex ideas and make them simple. You also said there um, to make it fun. Do you want to just clarify what you mean by that? Because I, I think, no, yeah. if I do, oh, that okay. means being an entertainer. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't rah-rah. But um, business continuity, along with lots of different topics like business finance and project management and things like that, uh, have a tendency to be very dry. Yeah. And um, so when, when I say fun, what I'm really saying is that the course should be designed in a way that allows me to be me rather than be a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if something does have a humorous angle to it, then I'll use it. You know, if it's got a humorous hook, I'll use it. But it's it's not about entertaining people for eight hours. That's not, I, I don't think that's training. But I do think that people learn better when they don't feel that uh, something is as dry as a desert, you yeah. know, this is. Yeah. Isn't this the uh, I think exercises they, as well, bringing in sort of exercises that uh, that challenge, you know, maybe that uh, are mm-hmm. a bit more different other than, tell you what, get in a huddle, have a chat, write some stuff on the, on the flip chart and, um, and then feed it all back to us. That's the bog standard kind of, trainer stuff yeah Yeah. and and that was that was great 15 years ago (laughs) you know that was cut that was boom that was cutting edge um now you need to go well beyond that and you need some really nice scenarios you also need to assume that there is knowledge in the room that you can leverage going back to the the training versus facilitation training is something that I think businesses look for when they're looking for new knowledge, new information, and perhaps skill development. Is that where you see training? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. And it's interesting. It's interesting because when you put it in that that uh, context, it seems quite easy to then pigeonhole the type of person that needs to go through training as opposed to the type of uh, or the level of role which goes through facilitation. It seems that uh, people at lower levels are the ones which everybody looks at at a higher level and says, yeah, the lower levels need to be trained, but we don't Mm -hmm. need to be trained. (laughs) The higher, we don't levels, need. <laughs> the higher levels, what they probably do need is facilitation. But because there is that um, that blurring of the lines between these two different roles, they will very often look at someone like you or I, who have been doing the training bit and saying, well, that's not the person we need. We need somebody who is... Mm. who is, uh, you know, charging twice as much... <laughs> Because they facilitate. <laughs> and my question to you, that next before before we digress, is 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 it therefore reasonable to say that a trainer um, is easier for people to do, and a facilitator is uh, requires a more complex level or a higher level 
of ability? Um, can anybody be a trainer? No, I don't think anybody can be a trainer. Um, uh, I think some people are, are more suited, just like can anybody be a surgeon? You know, we could probably all give it a crack, but some people are better at it than others. I do think that facilitation requires a different level of experience. I think experience is key, yes. But I actually think more importantly is maturity. Which, um, as in how old you are? or No, no, no. no. <laughs> as, in, as in your capacity to say, um, I'm not here for me, I'm here for them. Mm. I'm not here to make myself look good. I'm here to make them look good. Yeah. I'm not here to achieve an objective which I'm going to be measured against. I'm here to help them achieve an objective against which they are going to be measured. For a lot of people, that's the struggle. That's that's the transition struggle between trainer and facilitator. Um, when you're a trainer, objectives are very clearly defined. Nathan, here's, here's a manual, deliver this and we're all good. Facilitation is the capacity to step back from all of that and say, I, I don't have a clearly defined objective. So, so for me, um, when, when people say anyone can be a trainer, uh, and, and almost anybody believes that they can be a trainer because they see what we do and they say, Poof, that's easy, you just stand up and talk. So I would, uh, would reply that, yeah, I mean, anyone can be a, a trainer and can do some of the things that we've been talking about. Because uh, naturally, you probably have got that within you. But there's still a learning process, I feel, um, one has to go through in order to be a professional and a competent trainer. Um, you, you know, when I think about when I moved into, into training, I had some raw skill uh, or raw ability, raw talent. Um, I, I had that ability of uh, trying to make it um, interesting for people. But as far as structuring something was concerned, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just guessing. Um, and as mm. far as my delivery style or skill was concerned, uh, again, I was I was just guessing. Um, so it needed somebody to get hold of me and to uh, and to coach me and to to train me uh, on the on the skills like that. So I would say um, to anybody who's thinking about moving into uh, this profession is is yeah go for it but you've got to find yourself somebody who can take you under their wing and can help educate you into what's good and what's not good uh, particularly in terms of habits um, there are a lot of trainers out there where you and I we must be in the audience and we cringe <laughs> when we see them doing stuff yeah. and you think oh goodness me no <laughs> my 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 big one is um trainers that sit on the edge of the desk oh is it <laughs> it's just I, I don't know why but you know that it's kind of like this i'm i'm going to make an effort to come into your space you know into the room yeah i'm going to walk around the desk but now i'm going to sit on the edge of it so it's, it, it's very it's a, it's a silly little thing <laughs> it, it is it is. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. For me, my yes, biggest one. Right. My biggest one is people that hold pens, and I'm finding myself mesmerised by the pen <laughs> because they're gesticulating oh, yeah, yeah. with a pen in their hand, and I'm thinking, yeah. 
Are you actually going to use that pen? Are you going to write? What, what are you going to write on that pen? And I'm not listening to what they're saying. Yeah, where are you going to write it? <laughs> are you going to write with that whiteboard pen on the electronic whiteboard that you shouldn't write on? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's even yeah. as if it's a bit, because oh. I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to see if they write on the flip chart on that bit. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Nathan. I was going to say a lot of organisations that I've um, had come in contact with uh, sort of ask me the question, well, how do I know that you're any good? You know, unless I go through any of your training courses, how do I know that you're any good? What qualifications have you got which, which will tell you know what's me funny? that you're good? That's, that's exactly where I was about to go. Was it? <laughs> was one of the challenges we have in our organisation, in, in, in our um our profession, and it is a profession, um, is that, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, you go to university, you study law, and then you sit the bar exams. You, you know, if you want to be an accountant, if you want to be a doctor, you, you know, the, there is a set, a structure that says, um, I, I'm going to allow you to deal with my money, or I'm going to allow you to deal with my appendix. Nothing like that exists in our profession. How do we do this? I think perhaps one of the best things we can do is perhaps be more upfront and more forthright when it comes to asking for referrals and for um, references. So, you know, when we've done a good job for someone, actually say, look, um, would you mind taking a couple of minutes just to write a few lines? I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's that's stolen, by the way. You know, I stole that straight from Brian Tracy. I was going to say, there are these certifications that you can get um, for being a, a, a good trainer. And I, don't, I remember I, uh, back in the, oh, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago, I took my uh, certificate in training practices with um, CIPD. CIPD, yep. Yeah. And um, at the time, that was a fairly new certification. I thought, well, it'd be good as proof that I can do the job. <laughs> and I sat through this uh, this course, which I think was something like uh, eight or nine weeks long. And um, the, the, the person who was in charge of the course and also the person for assessing my capability was asking me questions. <laughs> As, you know, for the for the content of it, and I was thinking that this is just not fair. You know, I I am I am here not so that I can run this course as an unpaid employee. Mm -hmm. I'm here because I want to uh, to have an endorsement of what I believed was right is actually the the right way to do it, and then get a certificate at the end of it which says, you know, he's he has he has proved that he's worthy. But, you know, I, I just wonder about these organisations that offer these uh, training certification as to how competent they are actually to, to offer these. I have a um, similar sort of experience, actually. I, I, I thought maybe I need to quantify or, or qualify uh, <laughs> my experience. And I started looking around. This was, again, many years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, I discovered an accreditation program. And when I started doing some digging around it, I thought, this is just not for me. 
And the reason was that they were basically looking for your trainer notes, which you, by the way, you follow to the letter, um, including make comment here about X, detailing it down into every three minutes of the entire course. And I thought, okay, that's not me as a human being, mm. uh, let alone me as a trainer. Mm. So, you know, understandably, it didn't get any further than, well, I'm sure it's a good idea and I hope it works out for you guys, but, yeah. you know, I'll be keeping my money. Thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. Um, uh, if you were doing really super structured training, something where there's only ever one way, you know, one correct or one right way of doing something, maybe that is the route for you. But I think a lot of the training we do, there's a lot of grey involved. Yes. Um, and there's a there's a lot of situational context. There's a there's a lot of um, well, what if we added this into the mix, or what if we added this into the mix, or uh, and because of that, when you're talking about leadership, when you're talking about management, when you're talking about change, when you're talking about resilience, you, you're talking about things that there is no one right way of doing it no so you know we've been talking for a while i think it's a, it's a nice point to wrap up here because i think what i've just said ties nicely into the question so jonathan are you a trainer or are you a facilitator oh nathan <laughs> you know the answer to that <laughs> the answer to that is 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 quite simply yes Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> and it all depends, doesn't it, on, on what you're faced with, uh, what you're training, and who have you got in front of you. Uh, if you've got people who, if, you've got, if you're supposed to be training a particular product or service and you've got people in front of you who know almost everything about that product or service, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to move into facilitation mode here and draw it out of them. Mm. If I've got people that know nothing, about the product or service, then yeah, I'm probably going to move into training mode, and I'm going to, and I'm going to present mm. some stuff for them. So I mm. I would suggest that um, I would suggest that the consummate L and D professional. Here we go. Here's a statement for you. The consummate L and D professional is a combination of a trainer and a facilitator. How about that? I, I think that's spot on. I think there are. There is a niche for people who just train. Uh, there is also another niche in the far kind of galaxy, far, far away, for, for for people that just facilitate. But there are there is a big group of us in the middle that have ten, fifteen, twenty plus years experience, who have worked with small organisations, big organisations, who have worked with leaders, who have worked with directors who have worked with individual contributors work with team leaders who are able to do both at the appropriate moments so yes yes good the answer to that question and understanding when the appropriate moment is a skill in itself yes comes with experience yep. doesn't it yep and, and it's probably not something that can be detailed in three minute chunks no no <laughs> <laughs>
in fur comics. That was, yeah. that was my little. That, <laughs> that was my little dig on on highly prescriptive Indeed. training courses. Indeed. So, Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. Podcast five, done and dusted. What's our topic for next week? So next week we're we're going to look at um, this whole thing around learning and development as part of human resources, and why is it so often the the poor cousin when you're talking to mm -hmm. uh, HR professionals? Uh, you'll never believe this, but I've got some opinions. Have you? <laughs> There's a thing. So we'll need to tune in next yeah. week then <laughs> to listen to Nate's opinions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Jonathan's. So thank you all for listening. And we look forward to uh, you being with us for podcast number six. Brilliant. Thanks. Well, huge thanks to Nathan. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do subscribe to us. And if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on your podcast channel. Thanks again. And we look forward to next week's episode where Nathan and I, two old dogs, will be training new tricks. <laughs>